Welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast. I'm your host, Wilton Jackson. Today we have another exciting episode for you. I sat down with Brad Butler II, an award-winning motivational speaker, student advocate, and success coach. Before he made guest appearances on Fox, CBS, NBC, or participated in speaking engagements with the NCAA, Brad was a student taking special ed classes and was the son of parents who were drug dealers that later became drug addicts. But Brad, he didn't let the adversity stop him from achieving his goals. In fact, when he was younger, he asked God to take the burdens from his family and to place them on his shoulders. In the midst of chaos, Brad found a way to discipline himself using sports to overcome his shortcomings. His belief is that no goal is accomplished without trial, triumph, and testimony. Sit back and listen as he discusses his passion of being a student athlete advocate, the importance of using his gifts from his purpose, overcoming special ed classes, staying focused, and more. This is Season 2, Episode 2 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast, The Adversity Assassin, Trial, Triumph, and Testimony. Let's get it. Welcome to the Red Diamond Report podcast with your host, Wilton Jackson. And today, ladies and gentlemen, we have a guy by the name of Brad Butler who has a phenomenal story. I've only, you know, known him for a couple of weeks, but I can tell you right now that, you know, having done some research, he has a story that you do not want to miss. So, Brad, it is, you know, it is my pleasure to introduce you to the podcast and, you know, you know, welcome, man. Oh, thank you for having me. It's uh, uh, any opportunity I have to uh, be on uh, somebody else's platform. You know, I don't take it lightly. You know, I remember how I started. So uh, every opportunity is something more like, oh, wow, this is uh, this is still this is still happening. Like we're still doing this. OK. Yes, absolutely. So, Brad, you know, I know a little bit about you and we'll get into that, um, you know, you know, later on throughout the podcast. But tell the people a little bit about who you are and what you do. Oh, man. Um, my name is Brad Butler II. Um, most people just call me B-Rad. Um, I'm an educational consultant, uh, I guess you could say keynote speaker, motivational speaker, uh, work with students and athletes. Uh, my main thing is uh, student success and retention, right? So I help educators increase the graduation rate for students and athletes. Right? That's my main focus. Now, I've spoken in different uh, arenas, doing different things, but that is my main focus. Like that is the thing that I love to do to, to connect and to help uh, students and athletes and to help these educators and the coaches to uh, have better uh, effective communication, you know, with the, the students and the athletes that they're dealing with, because I feel like that's something that has been lost. Um, there's a number of times where people, it's not that the educators or the coaches, their heart isn't in the right place. It's not that they, they want ill will on the, the students or the athletes. Is that they come from a different culture or they speak a different language, their personality traits are different. So automatically they feel like this, this relationship isn't going to work. You know, this is, I can't help this kid, you know, mm -hmm. but you can, you just have to learn what type of language they speak in. So just like how you have uh, relationships with a husband and a wife, um, you have to learn the, the, the other person's love language, right? right. So that you can, you know, so you can communicate. Effectively. Absolutely. So yeah, so that's the same thing. I apply basically the same thing, but um, I'm using something. I actually have a tool that I can use. It's, uh, it's called the DISC assessment. So I apply the DISC assessment to help them to understand 
hey, uh, you know, these are the strengths, these are the limitations that, you know, your students and athletes might have, these are strengths and limitations that you have. And uh, when you have a better understanding of that, you have a blueprint, you know, you, you know where to start. What do you think is the biggest disconnect? You know, you mentioned that, you know, uh, the, the coaches per se, you know, not necessarily knowing how to best relate with the students or athletes or teachers don't necessarily know how to best relate with students. What do you think is the biggest uh, disconnect with that? The biggest disconnect I see is the cultural differences. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I really think it, it's definitely the, the communication skills. Like some people, for example, you might have someone... I use this example a lot. Okay, so you might have a student in class, and the teacher is always, you know, saying about the student, "Oh man, they like they they, they want to run the class. They like they can't like they like they're always trying to do something. They're always like undermining me, that type of thing. And you know, they're always loud and blah blah blah. They're trying to run everything. Like this is my. I have to constantly remind them, this is my class, right? right. I'm the adult here, and they think that that kid is a troublemaker. They're not a troublemaker. They're a leader, right? So when you start looking at it in that sense, what you can do is you can you can actually give that student a role of leadership in the classroom and all the behaviors will stop. Right. You're not going to have any behavior issues because now he has a situation where he feels like this is something I have that you've given me a leadership role. And I'm like they're going to take it seriously because being a leader is what they want. Right. Like they, they, they have there's certain people in this world and you've met some people where it's like they they have a problem taking the back seat yes they, <laughs> and they're like you're not doing it right right you're like we can fix this this is, like, this is a waste of time it, right why are we having all these meetings and we're not actually doing nothing right like we didn't have three four five meetings you know uh corporate meetings about the same things just talking about the things that we're going to talk about while we talk about it later you know what i'm saying you just right. keep going it's like well when does the action kick in those are those people who like they're like i'm not waiting for you anymore even if it means that I get suspended or if I'm getting yelled at or detention or whatever, you need to know that this doesn't work for me and I'm not going to stand for it. That's basically what's going on in their mind. They just don't know how to verbalize it properly. Right. So it comes out as I don't have to listen to you. I'm not listening to you. Man, forget you. You don't know what you're talking about. That's how it comes out because they're not mature enough yet to verbalize what's going on in their mind. Right. So right. when you start thinking about it in that sense, it's like, oh, they're not trying to be disrespectful, but that's just how they know they, they don't know another way to communicate it. That, that's all it is. And then that's a conversation that you have when like, hey, listen, I know you might want things to be ran a different way in the classroom. But listen, uh, I'm the one who is in teacher. charge. I have exactly. to run this like by, by law. I got to be the one that runs this. Exactly. But what I can do is you can tell me is uh, I can listen to what the issues are that you have. Right. And then from there. I can we can we can meet in the middle. We can have like a common ground where I try to provide something that allows you the ability to have a leadership role in the classroom, you know, have like control of something. Right. And then from there, we can build on that and we'll try it out for like a week or so and see if that works out. If not, we'll come back to it. and We'll revisit it. Having done a little research about you, you know, obviously the motivational speaker, you know, you're an advocate for students and a success coach. How would you describe these three things about you motivational speaking being a student advocate like those things like uh, uh, and uh, a speaking coach success coach the business coach that type of thing those those are the things that I do mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily define who I am like who I am is like like I'm a husband right mm-hmm. I'm a son right I'm a brother um I'm a community servant um I'm a I'm a you know I'm a god-fearing man like 
those are that that's who I am to my core you know the work that I do that's like my calling those are the things that that I was blessed with certain gifts so I don't want them to go to waste and the gifts that I have are supposed to be shared with the world with other people it's supposed to be built to benefit others so that's who I am you know, internally to my core, I'm just a person who wants to help others. I don't want to see, I don't want people to go through the same things that I did. I solely believe that certain people have the story that they have, have the background that they have, went through all the ups and downs, the trials and tribulations that they did so that they can help other people. It wasn't for you to go through it and just harbor the feelings and harbor the experience for yourself. You were supposed to take that and give it away, show people how you were able to overcome it. Um, and I call it the three T's. Uh, without no trial, there's no triumph. And without no triumph, there is no testimony. So it, you're supposed to go through that process, right? And you're supposed to share that story with somebody else to keep them from um, running into the pitfalls of life. You know, those road bumps in the, in the road that people tend to run into. In a lot of cases, it's not necessary. Some people, you will be able to help them to, you know, get navigate past those things. Other people, you can't. Some people, they just hard headed They got to learn it. They self. They got to touch the fire. And that's fine. I get it. Some people just got to learn the hard way. And, and the funny thing is, in most instances, as human beings, because of our selfish nature, we're going to, in some, in some way, no one's perfect. Like, that's the reason why we have adversity. That's why everybody deals with it in some way, shape, or form, because no one's perfect. Exactly. So you may have avoided this thing because you were, you know, you had third eye open to that thing. you like, oh, I'm not touching that. I'm, okay, I'm going to avoid that. But this thing over there, you just can't seem to stay away from. You just got to touch the fire. You just got to, like, I got to go to the club, man. I got to, you know, you know, you know, you, you know, you passed your prime with playing ba- uh, basketball or football or whatever, but you just, I got to get on the court. It's going to take a torn ACL. For you, for you to sit down right. and just be thankful that you have a, a a job that pays you well, you got a family, you got a wife, or whatever it might be, because everybody's you know vice is different. So I'm just using that as an example. Right. But everybody has like a different thing that you know they kind of fall into. You mentioned adversity, and you know you are no stranger to overcoming adversity, adversity, facing adversity, all of that. And, you know, you were a child who had to deal with your parents, you know, with substance abuse, with drugs. And you kind of mentioned that in your book, Pain, Passion and Purpose. For those listening, you know, definitely want to, you know, uh, look into that book. Uh, like I said, I haven't looked, I haven't, you know, fully read it or anything like that, but I definitely plan to, to get one from you. But, you know, how did this affect other parts of your life from an academic and social standpoint? And, you know, how did you find yourself? How did you find enough courage inside of you? to get past it well uh i mean to tell you the truth boy like you call me the adversity assassin <laughs> it, it just seemed like everywhere i turned like it was always something so much to the point that i got used to it it's like yeah. i expect there to be something for me to overcome right and i'm cool with that um i i, I said a, and i'm not trying to get religious or like that but i said a prayer many many years ago i said god take the burdens away from my family and place it on my shoulders. I, I can, I feel like I can handle it, but I'm like, but I don't want to see my mother cry. I don't want to see my sister, you know, going through hardships. I don't want to see my father going through X, Y, and Z. Like they've been through enough. Like I'm the youngest, you know, take the burden, put it on my shoulders. And I'm not asking for you to make the weight less heavy. Just make my shoulders strong enough to carry the burden. Right. right? 
that's the way I always looked at it. So that's why I was like, man, yeah, versus the assassin, bro. Like whatever, whatever it is, I'm gonna figure it out. I'll find some way, shape or form to get through it. And the way I looked at like the, what, with me being the special ed classes and having to overcome that type of thing. Uh, my mother, if, you, if the, most people don't know, like my, my mother and my father, if they haven't read my book or heard me speak before, uh, my mother and my father were drug dealers and then they became drug addicts, right? So I solely believed that if my mother and father were able to beat a drug addiction, I could beat the school system, right? The school system wasn't trying to kill me. It might not have wanted me to be in the best position, right? right. But I was still able to get an education. I was still able to learn. I could research things on my own. The, the, the internet started coming out when I was in uh, high school, right? Mm -hmm. So right. I was able to start researching things and doing things you know, in the school, right? On my own. So when I started figuring things out, I was like, wait a minute, the internet got all this information. I can search whatever I want. I can get whatever information I want and I can print it out here and read it when I get home or whatever. Like, I didn't believe the title that they put on me was like, that wasn't what I wanted them to etch in stone on my grave. It shouldn't say Brad Butler, the second special ed student, right? right. Right. No, it should say Brad Butler the second, like a man, blah, 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 whatever, like whatever it was that I actually accomplished and did, um, you know, ultimately at the end, I would like, you know, for them to say when I, it's all said and done, you know, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right. But all in all that I, I couldn't like, I couldn't fathom, like if I died, right, at that point, that what would they, what would they say? What could they possibly have to say about me? What did I do? Who was I? Like, what, what did I accomplish? Who did I help? Like, what did I do in this world? I felt like I did absolutely nothing. So I was like, man, I can't leave this as my legacy. I can't have no kids. And, and, and this is a story that I'm telling them. This is who I was. This is how they talked about your father. Oh, your father was a deadbeat. Your father didn't take care of his business. Your father could have, you know, did, did X, Y, and Z. I was like, no, that can't be me. I was like, I'm not getting married to nobody right now. I'm not getting, having no kids right now. I'm not doing none of that right now. I got to get this together. I got to figure this thing out. Absolutely. Right? So that was my driving force behind it. It was like my legacy, you know, my legacy means everything to me. So I, I'm willing to, I'm willing to work to like, you know, so I can't work no more. I'm willing to, that's one of the things where like, I'm willing to die for it. Like I, I, I told my wife before, I was like, yo, if I go to my grave and I did not accomplish all the things that I wanted to do as a speaker and impact all the people that I wanted to impact, if I at least impacted some people and I did some type of work and I at least put the blueprint, some things out there, I can go to like, I can go to my grave happy knowing right. that I did everything in my power to try to make it happen. Right. But for me to go to my grave and then be able to say, man, I should have, I wish I, oh, if I had just I can't do it, I can't do it. Absolutely. And it's interesting that you say this because we, we share similar perspectives on that. And, you know, it's one thing to say, OK, here for me, I always look at it like this. You know, I have a main job that I that I that I do. And it's some other things surrounding my main job that I want to do. But I always tell myself, you know, I feel like I'm only as good as the people that I'm, you know, impacting. And, you know, am I you know paving a way for somebody to come behind me? And it's just kind of like just what you said. If I'm not leaving a mark behind for somebody else to follow or or just giving some advice or anything that I can do to help the next person coming coming behind me, it's like, what am I doing? You know, I, I, I'm like you. I wouldn't be able to 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 go to God and say, hey, God, I'm, I'm I didn't do all of what I was supposed to do. I, I didn't finish it. It's like I started it but I didn't get a chance to finish it. And it's just like, and you know, just like, you know, um, just like how I know that when you start something, we're people that want to finish things. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I like I drive my wife crazy. Like, Can't you take a break? Can't you just sit down? Like, don't you want to eat? I'm like, no, I don't want to eat. I don't want to sleep. I don't want to do nothing but accomplish the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, because I don't know if this thing is the thing that's going to put me where I need to be. Exactly. Right? Yep. Somebody might need this thing. Like somebody told me a long time ago, um, I, I believe it was my, my mentor, uh, Kendall Ficklin. He said, um, he said, if you don't live in your purpose, right, you don't do what you're supposed to do with your life, somebody's going to die and it's your fault. And it doesn't mean that you're going to shoot them, stab them, nothing like that. But what it means is if they don't hear you tell your story about how you overcame those three T's that I gave you earlier, right? If you don't, if you don't get to the point where, you know, you get to that point of testimony, right, where you're able to tell people how you got through, right, whatever it was that you went through, somebody out there is going to give up. They goes like um, they going they're gonna give up and they're gonna um, fall victim to alcoholism, drug abuse, um, poverty. Like they're gonna give up on their dreams, right? They're gonna let their dreams die because they didn't they didn't have anyone else to give them an, an example of what it looks like or that it's possible. That's the biggest thing for so many people. Like you just my biggest thing was I just need to know it was possible, right? Is right. it possible to be successful, right? I don't need any of the other stipulations and all the extra stuff that go with it. All I need to know is, is it, is it possible? Right. And then once I realize that it's possible, then I start going into probability. Right. What is the likelihood of me being successful with this? And what do I have to do to increase that probability? Oh, OK. I need to get around the right people. OK, I need to be you know, I need to change my attitude, my thought process. I have to stop doing this, stop doing that. OK, cool. I'll do those things if it means that I can get to here. Right. I'll, right. I'll sacrifice whatever. I'll do whatever I have to do, right? At any moment, I don't care. Like my wife knows if something comes up and it's just, it, this got to stop, or this got to change, or we got to make a shift, then I'll do what I got to do because I'm only thinking about the future, right? I'm thinking about what's ahead of me. I could care less about how I feel right now because how I feel has nothing to do with the facts. When you found out about your parents and them battling substance abuse, they separated. So you, you, and then you moved from, uh, Jersey City to East Windsor. Mm -hmm. So what was that transition like? And then, you know, as you mentioned, you know, previously about, you know, being in special ed classes. And then when I saw that, I, I asked myself, I had to say this, like, is it the fact that they put you in special ed classes? Or was it the fact that they really considered you to be special ed? So with that, it was like a culture shock, mm -hmm. right? So I went from living in Jersey City, where there's like next to no Caucasian people, Right. Um, so now I'm in the East Windsor and I'm one of the only like black people in, you know, this this whole city. Population, like, I mean, right. I, right. Like I remember I lived on Martin Luther King Drive. Oh, we right? know what that means. Yep. And you know what that means, right? <laughs> right? In Jersey City. And from Martin Luther King Drive to a cul-de-sac. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'd never heard the word cul-de-sac before. I was like, what is what is that? Is that a, a, a like a kind of bag or something like that? It was a cul-de-sac. Like I heard sack. Wait, that's a bag, right? He's like, no, no, that's like that's how the neighborhood is set up. It goes in like a little circle kind of thing. I got a horseshoe shape and it comes around, you know, you right. come back out. I was like, oh, that's weird. I'm like, so ain't no corner stores or nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing like that. No, they don't have those at cold sex. I was like, oh, that's crazy. So I, it was just a culture shock. Like I didn't look like my, my I wore braids and stuff like that. Like I had corn rolls. Um, I wore Tim's. Like I, my style was the way I talked was different. My the music. Oh, I wrote it in my book. I was listening like to some music and I got confused between Black Street 
and the Backstreet Boys. I thought that they were, I thought they were talking about the same thing, and it wasn't. And he was like, Backstreet Boys? I was like, no, Blackstreet? He's like, no, Backstreet Boys? I was like, wait, I don't know who they are. He's like, well, I don't know who they are. I was like, oh my God, like I'm in a it's like a whole new world. Like I'm talking about Aladdin and Jasmine. We in a whole new world. Like, right. like yeah. you know, and 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 it was like because I was only one of the only like black kids in the neighborhood or whatever, like people, it seemed like people were always watching me like through the windows. I always feel like somebody watching me. I'm like, come on, <laughs> bro. Like I'm just a regular kid. I'm just walking around. What y'all doing? Right. But they'd never like they some for some of them, it might have been the first time they've ever seen an African American child before. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, what's he gonna do? Is he gonna sh- shoot up the place, rob us? I what like, what are you gonna do? And then it was like, and then like my talents would start coming out and stuff like that. They were like, oh, he can dance. Oh, he can sing. Oh, he can rap. Wow, he's talented. I don't, I don't did you. You can't believe it. I can't believe it. Like, <laughs> it's like, what? It, it, to me, it's like, what? I'm, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to rhythm. do. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm out here like this. You know what I mean? And they're like, well, what the, wait, are they trying to catch on to it. Like, well, how do we do it? I'm like, all right, come on. Let me show you how to do this thing, bro. It ain't nothing but a two-step. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, about to, you about to hurt yourself. Like, right. But yeah, it was just like that different culture shock, bro. It was different. But what I can say is, um, yeah, it, it was some people who they didn't necessarily like accept me because I was different. You know, I, I look different, talk different. And, um, people are, you know, people are scared of things that they don't understand. Absolutely. So instead of just saying, Hey, why do you do this? Or why did you do, do that? Or how, wh- what made you do this? Or made you that? What made you say this? Or made you say, or oh, what does that mean? It, they'd rather just ignore me or not, you know, be around me or whatever, instead of trying to figure out what was going on. Uh, and as far as the whole special ed situation, um, I knew I, ne- I always felt that I'd never belonged in special ed classes ever, Right. never did. I feel like I did. My mother wasn't around because she was in Jersey city. So she couldn't go back and forth, back and forth to continuously advocate for me. Mm-hmm. And my father had minimal education, so he didn't know what was going on. And, you know, if I had issues with my homework, I couldn't bring it home and ask him. And then I had my grandparents who live with me, too. They were so far gone from it. They're like, I don't know what this algebra stuff is. Like, I can't help you with none of that. So you better call somebody or whatever. I'm like, I'm not about to keep calling my sister and my mom. They didn't came from work and all that. And I'm like, no, I'm like, whatever. I'll try to figure this out myself. That was always my thing. I was like, I'll figure it out myself. Now, when I get to my breaking point, then I'm like, all right, I got to ask somebody for help. But you know, going through the uh, the special ed system, I never felt like I was a special ed student. I never felt like anything was really was wrong with me. Right. There were other kids in there who legitimately had learning disabilities or they had a physical disability. Right. right? They needed that extra help. So there's no knock against them. They needed they needed that help. Right. But I believe that I just learned differently. My wife will tell you, I might be looking at something or thinking about something. And it's like it take me a little while to get it. I'm like, I'm, I feel like it's something there. I'm trying to figure this thing out. But once I get it, boom, that's it. And it's like, yo, you never have to say anything to me about it again. Like right. I'm on it. I, I like, I'm almost like an expert in there because it's like, I've already researched and do, did whatever I needed to do to figure out certain things. Now there's some stuff I just don't touch because I, that's not my skill set. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And it's, it's interesting now, you know, with me being on the, on the other side, like, you know, I also teach college students now. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that when, when I was younger, teachers would say, you know, well, I know each of you learn differently or whatever. And now being a teacher also, it, it allows me to see that, you know, everybody's not a visual learner. Everybody's not a learner who can learn just by reading facts and reading books. Like you really have to adapt to the students that you're teaching. And, and, and believe it or not, it's not so much about you know, their actual ability to do the work. Sometimes it's other things that's going on around them. It could be family. It could be the community where they're, where they're coming up in. I mean, it's so many factors that, you know, that you really don't know as a teacher. And if you're not really, you know, fully involved with the students that you're working with, you'll, you'll feel like you're not, you know, getting your job done. Absolutely. I can, I can completely understand that because it's not easy. Right. In no way, shape or form is it easy to be a teacher or an educator or a coach, uh, especially this day and age, like with everything that's going on with the whole COVID situation, because now, you know, you're just on a Zoom recorder or whatever, mm-hmm. and you're trying to keep them engaged. They fall asleep and they turn it off their screen or whatever. So it, like you have to find more creative ways to keep them engaged. Right. Yeah. And, and, and you have to you have to be connected. you got to be genuine. Because I know some of the teachers are recognizing right now, if you're really having a hard time connecting with the students now, it's because you probably didn't have a connection with them before. Absolutely. And students, we, we can, you know, as a former student, obviously, we can always tell. Oh, yeah. We, we can tell the teachers that, that care versus the teachers that are that are just there to get a check. Right. Like, I would, I could read a, a, a teacher, substitute teacher, whatever, in a second. And I was never, like, a problem child where I, you know, caused all the issues and stuff, but... Like I can just I can look at him and be like, yeah, they about to eat him alive. Like, or she, oh yeah, they but she gonna leave crying today. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, they got they got cuts. I'm like, this ain't this ain't standard classes, this ain't AP, this is special ed, bro. They about to act a whole fool in here. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I wrote and I wrote some uh something about it in my book. It was like my my I think it was like my my best day or my my the, the day I remember was like the best memory I had in special ed class, and then the worst memory I ever had in special ed classes. So I wrote that in the book and like, you got to be built for tough, you know, to deal with some of that stuff, man. Like if you're going to be a special ed teacher, God bless you, because it's some stuff that you're going to experience that you didn't ask for. Right. You did not ask for, you didn't sign up for, you know, X, Y, and Z, but if your heart is in it and like you, you in it for the right reasons, you know, you'll build that genuine connection with your students. Like I know off the top of my head, it's, two, two teachers that I know genuinely cared about me. And like, I still talk to them to this day. Um, good people. And they were both Caucasian women, right? They just saw something in me that was like, nah, like he might be in these special ed classes, but I don't see it. Mm-hmm. I don't see it. Like, it's like, let me, let me talk to them. Let me help them. And, and they, they would give me like information on the side, like, Hey, okay, do this, do that, Brad. Like, okay. I know that Things don't don't look the way that you want them to look right now. But just stay focused. Just keep doing. I know you don't want to do the work. Just do it anyway. I know that it's easy for you. Do it anyway. Just keep on keep your grades up, right? right. Because if you let them drop, if you let them fall, that it's really gonna hurt where you're trying to go and what you're trying to do, right? So I was like, all right, and I, you know, I would listen to them because they would stay on my case. I get right. in a fight with somebody or something like that. They're like, come on, Brad. Like, you know, you can't, like, you're doing this or that. Like, let's stay focused. And I'm, I, I'll get refocused again. Whereas it was the other teachers, they could care less about me, right? 
and especially like the, the teachers who were in like standard classes that were teaching standard, like because they weren't used to seeing me, mm -hmm. I was just, I was a nobody. Because we're, when you are a, a student and you're in standard classes, most students don't realize that that's actually a privilege. Just being in the standardized classes, not necessarily being an AP or, you know, advanced, whatever, being in standard classes, that was the privilege. Like, whereas I was in special ed classes and I was, I felt like I was below standards and I just wanted to get to the standard. And I kept that same work ethic after I graduated from, uh, from high school and applied that to like, my business and pretty much everything else, you know, that, that I attempt to, to work on or, or touch that I just keep my head down and keep working and grinding because I was just trying to get to the standard. And by the time I lifted up my head, it was like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm above the standard, mm -hmm. right? I'm not what people, like, I'm not the standard anymore. I am above that because of the fact that all I wanted to do was work and grind and just see and just be the best version of me possible. And you can't do that if you don't respect the process, if you don't respect where you're currently at. So anybody who's a, a standard student, right? they've already had in the sense they have a leg up and they don't realize it they would have to see it from the other standpoint in order for them to understand what type of opportunities they have in front of them you're a standards you're in the standard classes you have the opportunity to go to a four-year college out the gate if you do your thing on the SATs or ACTs to keep your grades up right and you can get scholarship you're a special ed student you don't get that you don't have access to that because if you're and I believe now it might have changed because of the no child left behind thing. And I'd have to research that to, to really, you know, hone in on it and make sure I know exactly what's going on with that. So don't quote me. But I believe with the no child left behind situation, the students in special ed classes are basically being taught the same exact information, but at a, at a different pace or a different rate or whatever. I don't completely understand it because if you slow down the pace for them, how do they get to the same point? I don't. I don't how know. They, how do they get to the standard? Exactly. How do they? Yeah. How's it? How do they get to the standard? But it's like, mm, OK, that's not my area of expertise. So I stay away from it. Though What I focus on is wherever you're at, let me try to help you to get to the next level. Right. Let me do that. Try to help you out from wherever it is that you're at. So with that being said, it's just like um, it, it, when people start to understand, OK, listen, awareness, I, feel, I put it into that category without awareness and not without these students understanding where they are and where they want to go and the ability that the fact that it can be taken away from them that's that's the thing that they don't realize most students don't realize that yes you are you're given this this whether it's public school catholic school private school whatever it is you're being given an opportunity to possibly get to whatever it is you want to get to right now if you right. want to go to college you can do that trade school you can do that right uh, playing sports collegially, you can do that. But that gets snatched away from you if you're not taking advantage of the opportunity. Whereas some of these kids who are in the special ed classes, and like I said, I don't know for sure if it's the same way, but I can say how it was with me when I was in special ed classes back in the day. Some of those students that I was around were athletes and they got scholarships snatched away from them. Now I'm talking about D1 schools, full ride scholarships. They just let them kids play and make that school look good and never told them that they weren't getting college credits. Never told them that they weren't being, they weren't meeting the standards so that when the schools came, they had already offered them all the, 
you know, all the scholarships and stuff. I seen you play. I seen you dunking. I seen you catching footballs and all that stuff. Well, great. Give them the scholarship. Bring them on over here. Then they looked at them SATs, ACT scores, and looked at the classes that they were in and said, what is this? We can't work with this. If we bring them onto the campus, they're going to fail every class. We can't put them in one-on-one classes and everything and think that, they, no, it's not going to work. Nope. Got to snatch that scholarship away and give it to somebody else. That's why I tell the athletes and the, the students now, keep your grades up. Don't work like, yes, get on the field, do your thing on the court, do your thing, play to the best of your ability. But above all, keep your grades up because I guarantee you it's going to be some cat out there who's really, really good. He's way better than you at basketball or football, but his grades are in the toilet and they're going to snatch that scholarship right away from him. And he's going to have to go to a D3 school or something like that. And it's going to open up an opportunity for you to slide right on up in there and you can walk onto the team or do whatever it is that you got to do to earn your keep. And, but you'll have that opportunity. But right. they won't have to. They know they're not going to have to worry about you as far as keeping your grades up, you know, and, and prioritizing things. So that's one of the main things I'm talking to, like with these uh, these student athletes, is like, bro, you have to keep your grades up. Like the end all be all is not the sport itself. You go to college, you don't get paid. Well, right now they're working on something, but we don't right. know. We don't right. know how long that'll take. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So I always tell them, listen, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, right? So do right. everything that you can do to put yourself in the right position. So that when your opportunity comes, boom, you're ready for it. Like you're overly prepared. Right. And it's interesting, you know, and this is actually the perfect segue. It's interesting that, you know, you, everything that you went through and now that you're, you know, coaching and guiding these uh, uh, athletes in terms of telling them, you know, to keep their grades up and things like that. You used football as a mechanism for you to get through the things that you were going through, you know, with school, your parents, et cetera. Like, how did you use football to fuel you and and what did you enjoy the most about the sport? Um, like for me, football was a getaway. Like it was a, like I had an issue when I was younger with like my anger, like anger management, and I used to get in fights a lot. Like I just it just was what it was. Like I I, I was one of the people I didn't go looking for fights, but you know, people would pick on me because I was shorter, smaller, or whatever, and then they would think, okay, you small, so you're not gonna fight. And so I would end up getting like little fist fights, you know, every now and then. And, you know, I had to kind of work through that. And then my best friend, he introduced me to football. He said, hey, listen, let's go. Let's go play football. And I was like, I've never played. I've not played in the streets, so street football. He's like, no, let's actually play for a team. And I really I quickly learned that it's completely different to play on an organized team than it is to play like out in the streets. Like, cause I'm quick, I'm juking people and stuff like that. Boom, 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 doing my thing, having fun, whatever, I'm fast, right? I'm quick, quick, fast, fast, right? I'm doing that thing out there. And you get on the team and then you get your head knocked off because you didn't you didn't go to the right hole or you didn't go to the, you didn't run the play correctly. Or you get, you're about to get your quarterback killed because, you know, you, you didn't read the playbook or you didn't remember, you know, the assignments that you had. So I was like, oh, wow, this is OK. But but if I can get good at this, like because I know I'm quick and I'm fast, if I can get somewhere at least decent at this, man at least I could, you know, I could play sports, you know, I could be good at that because I ain't good at school. I'm not good at the, the classwork stuff. Like I do the best I can or whatever, but how far is that really going? Uh, a in the special ed classes equals what? Nothing. <laughs> it don't equal nothing special. It's just an A in the special ed classes. I'm not going, I'm not getting no scholarships off that. So I'm like, all right, whatever. So I would just play to the best of my ability and try to learn the game as best I could. And it was a way for me to release my stress and uh, anger 
um, any issues that I had, I was able you know, to run and it, it built discipline. Like it built the discipline to like, okay, if you're angry, you can't just do whatever you want on the field, right? You still got to run the play. Like you can't just change it to doing whatever you want or switching things around or like trying to make things work because you got a personal vendetta against another player because they hit you hard. No, you got to run the play. The, the ultimate goal is to get into the end zone, to score, to shoot the basket, whatever it is for whatever, whatever sport people are playing. So it built that discipline in me where it was like, okay, Brad, make the main thing the main thing at all times. Like it don't matter what's going on, what type of chaos is going on around you. If you ever seen a football uh, field or a play that after they say hut go or whatever, it's chaos. Very much so. It looks like chaos. So if you can keep your focus in the midst of chaos on a football field, Brad, when things ain't going necessarily right within your life, you can still focus. Mm-hmm. You don't have 21 other people flying around you, you know, and 11 of them trying to knock your head off. So right. if I can handle that, I can definitely focus long enough to take a test. I can focus long enough to read a chapter. You know what I'm saying? So that was my thing. So if it, if I need to take a break, do whatever, like talk to somebody, whatever it took to get me through it, that's what I would do. But I applied the same principles and the same disciplines to school that I did when I was playing sports. And that's what helped me to get through it. I started looking at it the same way. So even like with the semesters, first semester, second semester, third semester, I started quarters. I was like, okay, so Brad, if you, if you, if it's 21-0 after halftime, it, the likelihood isn't that high that you're going to win this game. Mm-hmm. So Brad, you can't be down 21 at halftime right. in school, bro. You have to stay in the game. If I'm getting A's, I'm scoring. Boom. I'm, I'm scoring. Boom. I'm on it. Right. So I can't let that. that, that I always kind of connected it with sports to help me to get through it. So it was like to, to, like the analogies I would use. That's why I'm pretty good with using analogies for things now when I'm speaking, mm-hmm. because I always connected to that. Like the creativity part starts kicking in. And that's the way I'm able to get through it. So unbeknownst to the teachers, that's how I was applying everything. I'm like, okay, first semester, I got to make sure I got to make sure that the first and second semester, I got to kill them. Right. I got to do as as best I possibly can. right? Right. Because that will set me up for the second half. Right. It'll set me up for the third and fourth semester. So I can cruise. I can cruise third and fourth if I'm already up. Right. But if I don't have that set in place. And I'm losing the first and second semester and I come into the third, we're going to have a problem. Considering that, you know, you went on to, you know, finish degrees at uh, Mercer County Community College and then King University. What was the what was the best part about that and doing that? And what was the hardest parts of doing that? Um, I mean, the best part about it was um, I proved a lot of people wrong. Right. So when I graduated from Mercer County Community College, my mom was like, oh, my God, you did it. Like, you know, it's my mom. So, you know, she said, oh, I right. always knew you could do it. But, you know, it, it was once it's done, it's like, oh, wow, you really did it. You graduated from Mercer County Community College. You got your associate's degree. I'm so proud of you. And I was like, Ma, I'm going to go to um, I'm going to go to a four year college. And she's like, what? I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, oh OK. Oh, so you're not done. Like you want to keep going. I was like, yeah. And so I went. And she was like, okay, well, you know, I support you, do your thing. And then I graduated. And then it was like, oh, yeah, something was absolutely wrong with the school system. 
something was broken. Somebody wasn't really paying attention to Brad because it's not, it shouldn't be possible. Right. If you're a special ed student, that shouldn't be. Like you're now an anomaly, Brad. You have a 40 year degree. And now, and here's where I really messed them up. I went to Mercer County Community College and I got my associates in fine arts. Made sense. I was always good at art, drawing, painting, all that stuff, whatever. It just came naturally to me. I messed them up when I switched my major from uh, fine arts to business management, which has a lot of math, a lot of business math. Math is my worst subject. Mm. My worst subject. You go back and check my IEPs and all that. They will clearly state that Brad is not sufficient when it comes to math. Mm. He struggles with word problems and all that. Terrible. It just did not change. I did enough to pass, but I always had issues when it came to math. I just didn't. It it just wasn't my forte. It wasn't my strong point. I was always good at English talking. That was my Mm. thing. I talked my way at it. Whatever. (laughs) I'd get up there and I would purposely do this in class sometimes. Give a teacher the wrong answer, but give an explanation as to why it could be right. And then they had no choice but to say, all right, well, I got to at least give you partial credit or I got to give you full credit for it because you explained it. You're right. You're right. I'm only wrong if you can if you can prove that I'm wrong. If you can't prove that I'm wrong, then I have to be right. Right. Or I got it. Or you you got to say that I'm right until you can prove me wrong. But with the whole situation with me changing my major, I was like, Brad, if you can get this down, if you can figure this out, if you can beat the system and prove that they were wrong, right? That something went wrong because it shouldn't be possible for you to get a business degree. There's too much math involved, the statistics, quantitative methods, all those things that you have to do. There are people that struggle with those classes and they were in standard classes, right? right. So if I can do it, then that means it something was off, right? So I did that and made it through it, passed my classes, and my mom like lost it. Like, I don't what? Like, this is crazy. Like, you really went through boom. And now I'm actually currently um, I went back to school. I'm working on my master's now. So um, I have a year left. And I think my GPA right now is like 3.64. Um And I'm just, I'm doing my thing. Like, I'm just going through it. And I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying like the work isn't hard. It is. Like, it's a lot of reading. Extremely hard. (laughs) Extremely hard. So uh, if anybody is watching this right now, you're thinking about getting a master's degree, degree, just understand that there are going to be um, 40 to 60 page chapters that you have to read. And you're going to need to probably read about three to four of those per week. Um, So it's a, a a, a great amount of reading that you're going to need to do. So um, I'm not saying that you can't do it, but just I want to prepare you for it. Yeah, get ready to read a lot. Like right. It's going to take up a whole lot of your time. Right. Uh, so there, there's the disclaimer for anyone who's thinking about doing that. And yeah, go, go out and get it, but just, you know, get, get comfortable with reading. And um, yeah, I'm just going through it. And um, a lot of it's common sense as far as once you get the information from the books and you're applying it, it a lot of it's common sense as far as I'm, I'm actually getting my master's in counseling. Okay. Because I had issues with counselors from schools. So right. I was like, okay, you guys aren't really paying attention to me. You don't really care. And so what if I were to go get my counselor, my master's in counseling and then use that information while I present it to these students? Right. So Dang. not only are you giving them the information that they need to be successful in life, you can also relate to them and better understand them because you've been where they are. Exactly. 
Exactly. You've been able to speak at different, you know, locations, organizations from NCAA, Verizon, you know, the YMCA, like, where do you, where do you see yourself building on this? I know you're working on your master's right now and you know, all this is a part of your company. Where do you see this going? Like this, this motivational speaking, you know, you finishing up this, um, this master's degree, where do you see the next step for you? Uh, man, uh, the next step for me would be, you know, traveling, you know, all year, all around the world, speaking, um, empowering the youth. I just want to bring light, you know, when it, when it's darkness. I want them to, I don't want to be the light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, I, won't, I don't want to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I want to be the light at the end of the tunnel, you know? Right. I, I want people to understand that it can, it's it's possible. That's it. That it's possible. Yes, with the, with the all black and the hoodie on and the hat on, I'm still an inspiration to people. Like, I'm still motivating people. I'm still giving people uh, the outlook that it's, it's possible to have whatever it is that you want. Live your dreams. Live in purpose. Right. Like that's my main thing. That's why when I end all of my presentations, I say I encourage every last one of you to make your next day your best day. I don't want anyone to get complacent and think that the work you did today is enough to get you through tomorrow. You mentioned what well, we mentioned earlier, you know, in terms of understanding like your parents and, and when they separate. I wanted to ask this and I think it's the perfect time. Where is your relationship with your parents now? And, you know, and just in terms of your siblings, I know you said you were the youngest. So what is your your family relationship like now? Oh, man, everything's great. Um <laughs> my mom is good my, my dad is good like my father had a, father had a good christmas uh bought him a car so he was happy got him a, extremely um, happy yeah man he's extremely happy i put a video out there um for him and like, he couldn't believe it because he you know he had a truck for a bad long he did not want to get rid of it like mm-hmm. mind you the truck is still parked next to the new car like <laughs> he hasn't got rid of it yet but like i know he needed a new truck or a new car, a new SUV, whatever I was going to get them. And, you know, me and my sister, we, you know, we, we got together and we said, all right, listen, we're going to handle this. We're going to get take care, care for them this year. And, you know, trying to hide it from them was the hard part. It wasn't doing so much getting the car. It was, uh, it was trying to hide it from them, but you know, it, it worked out. And my father was really, really happy about that. My mom is doing great. Um, thankfully, you know, um, yeah, she's, she's chilling. Her and my, my sister, they're good. They're good. Yeah. I talked to them regularly you know that's one of our things like because you know our small uh immediate family like my mother my father my sister obviously my wife and all my nephew like we just have that small group you know like because that's all we got you right. know like we like think about it my, my mother and my father were, were heroin addicts mm-hmm. so they went down that spiral and it was like yo we're the black sheep of the family so nobody saw us pulling out of that thing. And my mom ended up getting her master's degree. My sister is about to have her master's degree. I'm working on getting mine in a year. Like my father, he doing good, taking care of my grandma and stuff. Like we good. No one right. saw that. Right. No one saw that happening. So like, that's one of the things and not to get you know, religious and all that, but that like, it's one of those situations where that's only God. Mm-hmm. Because you can't write that. You couldn't write a story better than that. Like you could make a movie about our life, you know, where, where we started. And then for me to end up where I'm at now and doing some of the work that I've done, like being on Fox and all that stuff. And like, right. like I, what? Like my mom saw me on Fox. My mom was like, what? who is this guy? What? Like, <laughs> like my mom lost it. My right. mom and my wife, they were like, oh my God. Like my wife was at my very first speaking engagement, mm. right? So she was just like, oh, okay, you're going to do this. So she went and like took off from work and recorded it with the camera and everything. And she's like, well, we're going to do this. Let's do it right. You know, and I was like, okay. And 
when I saw that, when that happened, I was like, I'm marrying her, bro. Like, I'm marrying her. You don't, you don't support my dreams like that and think I'm not going to marry you. Watch exactly. this. Exactly. I'll fix you. Right. You think you're going to outdo me, I'll outdo you. Well, are there any any things like, you know, any new things coming up? And like I said, I know you're finishing up school, but do you have any new projects you're working on? Like, you know, if people wanted to follow you, how could they follow you on social media? And just kind of stay up to date with, you know, with what you're doing. And, you know, even if you're doing some motivational speaking in little small segments on, you know, on your, on your social media platforms, how can they stay connected with you? Oh, uh, yeah. The best way to stay connected with me is just all, on all the social media platforms. It's just Brad Butler II. Boom. That's it. It's just same on everything. Brad Butler II. If you're looking to like, book me to do a virtual presentation or anything like that, please go to www.bradbutler2.com or you can hit up the uh, the email address, which is contact at bradbutler2.com and uh, and we're good to go from there. You know, um, all social media platforms is Brad Butler 2. That's it. Brad Butler the second. So or you can Google it, whatever you like to do. Um, stay in contact um, any way, shape or form that I can help you. School, coaches, uh, teams that you got i love to i love to do it stay tuned for the next episode of the red diamond report podcast until then make sure to follow the podcast on instagram and twitter at the rdr report and follow me on twitter at wilton reports and on instagram at wilton reports underscore